The roads of Elysium run through it like veins, from small paths down mountains to city-built lanes. They'll guide you home or take you away, or make you visit village that begs you to stay. Up through the pass, down through the grass, stick to your map, veer not from the path, or perhaps take an unfamiliar bend. After all, the aim of the song is the tune, not the end. How had she not heard it? How did it manage to sneak up on them and pounce without so much as a rustle of a leaf? Was this her journey's end? Did she leave Ben Luna and make it all this way just to die in the forest, eaten by a pack of wild dogs? Lillian was thinking all these things and more, a million questions running through her mind. But they were the wrong questions. They were questions that belonged in the past. The question she should be asking was this. Why was the dog not attacking? It had managed to knock her over. It had its jaws open, poised inches from Lillian's exposed neck. And yet it was not moving. Once Lillian realised this, she began to breathe again. They were sharp, quick breaths, the only ones she could manage in her state of shock. Slowly, the questions in her mind subsided, and she was able to gather new information. She could feel the dog's hot breath on her face, and she bulked when she smelt it. Its mouth was so close, she even felt saliva dripping from its teeth onto her skin. She craned her neck slowly to try and get a better look at it. It was large, that much she knew from feeling the weight of it on her chest and stomach. Its coat was brown and wire-haired, and it had a wide forehead. It seemed to be frozen, like Cassandra was, trapped by a spell or some demonic power. But when Lillian noticed a tight cord attached to a collar around its neck, the dog's strange behaviour began to make sense. Its beady brown eyes were fixed in a glare at her throat. The occasional blink or flicker, the only betrayers of them belonging to a natural, living beast. The cord stretched behind it and into the shadows. It occasionally moved, but did not slack. A similar cord stretched parallel beside it. Lillian guessed this was attached to a similar dog that must have caught Mr. Atticop off guard, just as this one had caught her. She heard his voice break the tense silence. Lillian, are you all... He was cut off by a loud bark, loud even to Lillian. She attempted to answer him. I'm fine. But her response was met by a similar shout from the animal on top of her. Its head was so close to hers, the bark rang in her ears and forced her body to constrict in shocked tension. Just then, a voice came out of the darkness. It was low and smooth, with a singing, rhythmic edge. It came from the other end of the chords, like a grim version of a child's game where strings are attached to bowls or cups. Please do not try to speak or move. The voice spoke calmly. Lillian guessed it was a man's voice. A woman's joined it almost instantly, a lighter tone but with a similar singing accent. 
They won't hurt you unless we tell them to. Lillian was not calmed by her words. If anything, the woman's chilling detachment from the serious of the situation unnerved her even more. They waited a few more seconds. Lillian's chest was beginning to ache with the weight of the dog. As she began to regain composure, Lillian realised that this must be some sort of intimidation tactic. The dogs could have ripped out her throat ages ago, so all this theatrical show of strength must be designed to scare her more than hurt her. Well, thought Lillian, it's worked. I'm stiff as a board and absolutely terrified. She wondered if Mr Atticop was feeling the same way. A whistle came out of the darkness and the dog shut its mouth and instantly dismounted. Lillian breathed in deeply and sat up. She felt movement by her side and realised her hand was shaking. She looked over at Mr Atticop and could see, even through the dim light, that he was white as a sheet. The two dogs, who looked very similar, were dutifully sat in front of them, seemingly awaiting further instruction. Lillian jerked her head around to see if she could see Fritha, but the Fainhound must have sensed danger and done its famous disappearing act. Lillian heard the crunching of leaves underfoot and gazed into the shadows beyond the two dogs. A man and a woman faded slowly into focus. They were both wearing dark green and brown colours that let them blend effortlessly into the forest. They could have been ten feet off the path and Lillian wouldn't have noticed. Their camouflage was aided by cowls and masks decorated with leaves and mud. Lillian could see the man's cold blue eyes staring down at her. He held a large leather ball in his right hand which was attached to a cord which he was tightly coiling around his left arm. Lillian noticed how careful and dexterous he was about keeping the cord tight as he approached. The woman beside him was doing the same thing. They both carried foot-long knives in dark sheaths on their belts and bows on their backs. Lillian felt sweat forming on her brow. Were they about to get robbed? She thought about the advice her father had given her and was mentally preparing to hand over everything in her pack and pockets when Mr Atticop spoke. Your hounds are impressive. There was no response. Mr Atticop tried again. Apologies if we're trespassing. We were trying to stick to the main road. There's a chance that in the dying light we went astray. We mean you no harm, and we thank you for calling off your dogs. No response. If you have no business with us, we'll be on our way. The two mysterious rangers looked at each other, and then back to Lillian and Mr. Atticop. The woman uttered a word in a language Lillian didn't understand. The two dogs stood up, and Lillian winced, expecting a similar attack, but they merely approached them with their noses in the air, twitching and sniffing all around them. Seemingly satisfied, the dogs trotted back to their handlers and sat patiently by their sides. This confused the man. You carry no steel? he inquired. We are scholars and travellers who have no need for weapons and who would not know what to do with them if we had them. My name is Cressido Botham and this is my niece, Amelia. Lillian shot him a sideward glance. 
The lies spilled from his lips as easily as ale from a tap. Lillian suddenly realised why they practice fighting with sticks each night. Nothing contradicts the phrase, we mean you no harm, like a blade on your belt. We thank you for your cooperation and apologise for our rude introduction. The woman, visibly relaxed and approached, dropping her cloth mask from her mouth and exposing thick brown hair and a round, smiling face with bright green, intelligent eyes. These woods can be dangerous places and we prefer to be safe than sorry. Are you hurt? Lillian shook her head and looked at the man. He still wore his mask and huffed when his friend apologised. Normally we would have no need to stop you, she continued, but we are very interested in your friend and we would like to show them to our community. Lillian was shocked. Why would they be interested in her, she thought. Maybe they don't have red-haired people in their town. You're interested in me? she asked. Why? Oh, no, so sorry for the confusion. I'm sure you're lovely, but we are interested in that. She pointed to her right, towards an empty spot by a small tree. Lillian thought she must have bumped her head when she got knocked over because the woman wasn't pointing at anything. But, after a few seconds, she saw Fritha open her eyes and shimmer into sight. Everybody gazed at her in amazement, including, it seemed, the two dogs. They eagerly sniffed the air, desperate to understand this new creature, but sure enough of their own safety not to bark or attack without prompt. Lillian sighed. That made more sense. How did you spot her? she inquired. This time it was the man that replied, We have been tracking you through the forest. We saw it when it was visible and have kept a constant eye on it since. If you look away for even a second, you could lose... her. Do you have a name for her? asked the woman, smiling. Fritha. Lillian felt Mr. Atacop glaring at her. He hadn't exactly told her not to name the Fainhound, but Lillian guessed it would not have been his first decision. It's a beautiful name. My name is Stephanie, and this is Bardat. She gestured to her friend, who gave a surly nod. And these are Pippin and Leonardo. At the mention of his name, Leonardo gave a happy, high-pitched yap, all animosity and aggression completely gone. It was as if Lillian was looking at a different dog from the one that had pushed her over only moments ago. Leonardo turned and marched up to Stephanie, wagging his tail and occasionally looking back at Lillian. "'What's he doing?' she asked. "'He's asking me if it's okay to meet you. Do you like dogs?' Lillian nodded and saw Stephanie look down and give a slight gesture towards her. Leonardo took his cue and bounded up to Lillian, his tongue hanging out as he began licking her legs for attention. Lillian giggled and bent down to stroke his ears. This calmed her. Suddenly, Fritha took a couple of steps towards them, the now familiar low chimes sounding in her throat. She seemed displeased. Oh, be careful, said Stephanie. I think Fritha is jealous. Lillian smiled at the notion, but then realised it made sense. Fritha did have an air of anger about her. Her coat was even shifting into a dark red with white patches. Lillian stood up and backed away from Leonardo to show her that everything was all right. Leonardo didn't seem to care. I'm very glad that everyone has now met properly. 
but if we could get back to the matter at hand. Mr. Atkop appeared to be running out of patience. You mentioned something about your community? Do you live in these woods? For now, yes, replied Bardat. Stephanie shot him a stern look. Please, you will come with us? Of course, we are not forcing you, said Stephanie, but if you follow us and you bring Fritha, we will happily give you supplies for your journey and even a bed if you wish to stay the night. Lillian looked to Mr. Atacop for guidance. They had just picked up supplies, but they would keep an extra day. He looked down at Lillian and raised his eyebrows. She shrugged and smiled. Very well. What is your settlement called, so that I may place it on a map? Mr. Atkop lifted up his pack and made to follow them. Our town is not on maps, and we prefer it like this, said Stephanie. But it is called Hunsberg. The two forest folk took Mr. Atikop and Lillian into the trees where they avoided paths and roads for some time. The two dogs, Pippin and Leonardo, led the way and Lillian guessed that they were following them to Hunsberg because there were no visible markers or beaten paths through the dense, dark wood. Lillian walked beside Stephanie with Fritha, a blaze in shimmering blue padding close by. The dogs were big, but Fritha still towered over them. Lillian would occasionally reach out to try and touch her coat, but she shied away from her hand. She does not know you, said Stephanie, observing the interaction. Lillian shook her head. She's been following us for ages, but I don't know why. Because she likes you, said Stephanie with a wink. How can you tell? Stephanie thought for a second. Well, this is my first time seeing an angsthorn, but where I come from, we work a lot with dogs. She pointed at Leonardo, whose head was currently buried in a burrow. Lillian enjoyed the way Stephanie moved and gestured as she spoke. Together with her tuneful voice, it reminded Lillian of when Brother Thomas would conduct the church choir. Everyone has at least one dog. We get our first dog when we are five years old, and so when you are always around these animals, you learn how to read them. When I look at Fritha, I see that she wants to be near you, but she is still uh, unsure. Lillian felt a pang of sorrow for Fritha. Hang on, she said. You've had Leonardo since you were five? Goodness, no, laughed Stephanie. Leo is my third dog. My first dog's name was Gumdrop. Lillian looked up at her, eyebrows curled in a question. What? I was five years old, okay? Lillian laughed and bent down to pat Leonardo's large flat back. She noticed that Mr. Atacop was falling a few feet behind them as they walked. His expression was sullen and serious. Lillian stopped walking so that he caught up with her. Are you all right? she asked. Hmm? Oh, yes, fine. He didn't seem quite himself, but Lillian felt it might be rude to push. She remembered Mr. Atacop's own lesson about listening, and so she joined him and waited until he spoke again. It's just, that really could have been it for us. I was taken completely by surprise and was left defenceless. You could have been killed. Lillian stayed quiet. She had thought the same thing not long ago. Mr. Atacop lowered his voice. In all our combat training and defence lessons, I never really mentioned that if someone decides to sneak up on you and attack from behind, there's really nothing you can do about it. I let you down, Lillian, and I blame 
myself. I was careless, and you could have been killed. Lillian thought about this for a second. Something didn't quite add up. You don't have to blame yourself. You don't even have to worry because, well, we weren't hurt. Yes, we could have been, but we were lucky. It's like you were saying earlier today about being in control of things. We didn't decide to get attacked, but these guys did decide to be nice to us once they saw that we meant them no harm, and we had a part to play in that by not carrying any knives or bows or whatever. It's all sort of linked, and our decisions did influence our safety, so if we keep making decisions like the ones we're making now, we should be okay. Mr Adcop looked at Lillian as she walked. Since the day they had started training, he knew that she was strong and that she would be able to hold her own in any test of physical prowess. But it seemed as though her mind was just as sharp. She had grasped the concept of determinism and applied it readily to their present situation. You know, Lillian, just because we're not always in direct control of what we do and think, that doesn't mean that our words and actions don't have consequences. I know replied Lillian, kicking up a clump of leaves as she walked. We do have to be careful so as not to hurt others. I see it as a sort of ship. We can steer the ship, even though the waves and tides move the water. Sometimes the ship might not go where we want it to, but we still have more to say in its direction than if we did nothing at all. Mr Atticop smiled. Back in Ben Luna, a part of him had dreaded this long journey with no one but a teenage girl to talk to, but now he realised that he had underestimated Lillian Lausanne once again, something he swore he would never do. She was becoming quite the philosopher. Perhaps, he thought, he would discuss her opinion on art and music next. He considered asking her what she thought about the two strangers that had accosted them on the road, but a strange sound interrupted his train of thought. Can you hear that? asked Lillian. Mr. Atticop nodded and slowly reached for a vial of lunar essence he had hidden in his sleeve. The sound was coming from over a muddy ridge. For the first time in their trek through the trees, Lillian saw what looked like a pathway running up it. It was slick with mud and climbing it would prove tricky, especially if you were in a hurry. The noise grew louder as they approached. It sounded to Lillian like wailing or crying but from a hundred voices, all in different intensities. It sent shivers down her back. It wasn't until they reached the small hill that it became clear. The voices and shouts grew more distinct, and Lillian realised that it was the sound of dogs. A chorus of barks and howls grew stronger and greeted them as they crested the mound. Stephanie grabbed Lillian's hand and helped her scramble up the last few steps. When she raised her head, she was greeted by an astonishing sight. Hidden amidst the trees and mud banks was a cluster of houses. They were encompassed by mud hills, similar to the one Lillian was standing on, so it looked as if the community was built within a large bowl. Lillian didn't have time to count, but there must have been over a hundred buildings, including a large structure at the other end of the bowl that seemed to be a central church or meeting place. Although the buildings were created from mud, clay and branches, they were not dirty or unkempt. 
In fact, if they had been painted white or blue, they would have resembled any house in the nicer parts of Ben Luna. Dotted amongst the small streets were people of all ages. There were old women coming out of doorways, there were children gathered around fire pits. Every single person had a dog with them, and they were all looking directly at Lillian and Mr. Atacop. The dogs were barking and howling. Strangers, they seemed to shout. There are people here, and we do not know them. From the crowd, a tall woman with thick brown hair and broad shoulders emerged. Trotting alongside her was a large, feral-looking dog with saliva dripping off its jowls and a hungry look in its eye. She approached the muddy hill and raised her right hand and flicked it as if she was batting away a mosquito by her face. In an instant, every single dog stopped barking. The sudden silence felt eerie. It was as if she had blown out a candle and plunged the village into darkness. The torches and fires around them, however, were still lit, and their cracking and burbling was now the only source of sound. Lillian's eyes widened as the woman approached. She had never seen such a tall and powerful lady. If she went to Ben Luna, she would easily be the tallest woman there, perhaps even the tallest person, full stop. Her eyes were bright green and she wore a bear hide around her chest, tightened with leather belts and straps. Her boots were leather as well and they looked sturdy and strong. When she got within earshot, she spoke. She had the same singing accent that Stephanie and Bardat shared, but her voice was sharper and more serious. Stephanie, she began, her shout sounding almost like a bark. She then started to speak in a language that Lillian didn't understand. Her expression and tone were severe. The tone was lyrical, but she spat and cracked her words with a sharp tongue. Lillian was pleased that this woman's anger was not directed at her. Stephanie seemed close to tears when her time finally came to reply. Her back hunched and her gaze dropped. She reminded Lillian of when she was getting a telling off by her mother. Hang on, thought Lillian. Could this be? They did share the same colour eyes, Lillian noticed. Just then, she heard Stephanie say a word that she recognised. Angsthund. She had said it in the forest earlier, but Lillian had forgotten to ask what it meant. At the mention of the word, all eyes turned to Fritha, who was at that moment crouched behind Lillian. When Lillian moved aside to show her off, a wave of whispers spread through the crowd. The tall woman's expression softened in understanding. She said a phrase that Lillian hoped was an apology and then spoke directly to Mr. Atacop. Thank you for coming here. I apologise if you were taken against your wishes. Please, if you would follow me and we can talk, you are welcome to stay here tonight. She spoke with ease and surety. As with every decision made on the trip so far, Lillian looked to Mr. Atacop for the final say. He nodded and began making his way into the bowl. Lillian followed him and kept close by as they made their way through the main street of Hunsberg. As they walked, Lillian felt a hundred pairs of eyes on her and Fritha. Some folks nodded as they passed, some turned to their neighbours to whisper excitedly. Most were smiling, but Lillian picked out the occasional stony-faced citizen who would turn away if Lillian met their gaze. 
Fritha stayed close by, ignoring the multitude of dogs that sniffed at her heels as she towered past them. The tall woman, who Lillian guessed must be the head of the community, led them to the big building at the end of the main road that she had seen from the mound. The building was large and built from interlocking tree trunks, meshed together with mud and animal skins. Two large wood sculptures flanked the entrance. They looked like dogs stood upright with clearly human hands. The one on the left held a ball and the one on the right held a spear. The doorway was covered by a thick curtain which pulled back to reveal a large circular room with a fire pit in the middle. The fire was down to embers, so the room was very hot as they entered. Lillian was glad for the warmth. The summer days were generally nice, but the nights still got bitterly cold at times. The tall woman gestured to some fur-clad seats by the fire, and the group sat down. Fritha had been nervous about entering the building, but once she was inside, she found a soft spot a little way away from them to curl up and sleep. The dogs, belonging to Stephanie and the rest, promptly did the same. Lillian wished she could join them. The heat of the room, combined with her exhaustion from walking, made sleep an attractive prospect. Bardet, please, could you fetch our guests something to drink? The tall woman sat as she spoke. Her hand mindlessly went to her side, where her dog quickly found it with its ears. She began to scratch them absent-mindedly as Bardat left the room, followed by Pippin. My name is Zinya. I am looking after this community right now. This is Otto. She gestured to her dog. Again, I am sorry if we have disturbed your journey. She directed the sentiment to both of them, but it was Mr. Atacop who spoke first. That's quite all right. I understand that it's not every day that you see one of these creatures. He gestured over to Fritha, who was wearing a dark purple coat and snoring softly. We're happy for your community to see her, but I'm afraid we cannot stay long. Zinya thought on this for a few seconds. It is not just that she is rare, Mr... Botham, Mr. Atacop replied. Lillian was thankful for the reminder, as she had forgotten what name she was supposed to be assuming. Mr. Bottom. Zinya continued. As you can see, we work very closely with animals. This has been our way of life for many years. This creature to many people here is like a sign, a message from the fates or some kind of omen. Look. She reached into the neckline of her hide shirt and pulled out a pendant hanging from a black leather cord. She leant forward so that Lillian could see it clearly. It was a hollowed-out circle of stone, with the carving of a four-legged animal in its centre. The stone was a beautiful shade of blue, whose colour danced in the firelight, making it seem like it was changing. Lillian saw flashes of red and yellow and was instantly reminded of Fritha's iridescent fur. We see maybe one or two of these every one hundred years, and every time we see one, it has heralded great change to our way of lives. It is interesting that we meet you today, of all days. Why? asked Lillian. Zinya let out a long and weary sigh. For the first time, Lillian noticed the dark lines under her eyes. It started about a month ago.
The village awoke from a peaceful night. One of the children, his name is Gerhardt, screamed when he saw it and the village came running. He was playing round the back of this building. I was there as quickly as I could be. We've washed it off now, but someone in the night had written a message on the wall. She paused her story to look up at the entrance. The curtain drew back and Bardat came in holding a few cups. Zinya waited for him to hand them out. Lillian took the clay cup happily. It was warm to the touch. The liquid inside was dark and smelled sweet. She wondered what it was and was about to ask when she realised that interrupting Zinya's story might be rude. Instead, she waited for Bardat to take his leave and took a sip of the warm, thick drink. It was sweet and delicious, like warm milk and honey, but thicker and dark. Once Mr. Atacop had drunk deeply from his own cup, he spoke. What did it say, this message? Zinya finished her drink in one or two quick gulps and set her cup down by Otto, who quickly began to lick the inside of it. It was a warning. The words were not in our language, but we could read them. It was telling us to leave. It was saying that bad things would happen if we stayed where we are. Mr. Atacop interrupted. Can you remember the exact words? Zinya paused to think. Leave this place or stay and suffer. Take your dirty ways and filthy beasts and never return. Saying the words seemed to cause Zinya a degree of physical pain as she winced and spat them out, as if leaving them on her tongue might poison her. And I see that you didn't heed the warning, said Mr. Atkop. Zinya was taken aback. Of course not. We have lived here for generations. I can't just upheave an entire town because someone wrote some words on a wall. Lillian was listening intently and occasionally sipping her drink. Did anything else happen because you decided to stay? She asked. Zinya nodded. About a week later, we were all woken up by shouts from a house down the street. The roof had caught fire and was spreading quickly. Could it have been an accident? Asked Mr. Atkop. Zinya shrugged. Maybe. But the next day there was more writing on the other side of town. Someone probably started the fire and then took advantage of us being distracted to write it. This time it was, get out, dog people. Very polite. Zinya snorted in derision. Since then we've had a couple of other incidents, but nothing too serious. My fear is that they will do something drastic soon. I don't want to leave this place, but if we don't find out who's responsible soon, we may not have a choice. She looked down at Otto, who was asleep, his legs occasionally jerking as if he might be chasing something in a dream. She smiled sweetly and Lillian could see love in her eyes. She loved her canine companion and she loved her community, that much Lillian was sure of. It was so plain to see it may as well have been written on the wall. No one spoke for some time. Stephanie placed a log on the fire and Lillian watched the embers spark as the log began to catch. Do you have any ideas about who it could be? She asked. Is there a lord nearby that owns the forest? Or a neighbouring town that wants to expand? Stephanie sat back down next to Lillian and sighed. No one owns this forest that we know of. 
The nearest town is a day's walk towards the river. It's a small place with mills built by the water to process grain. I went with Bardak to speak with them a couple of days after the first message. They didn't know anything about it. There's a chance they might be lying, but we have no idea why they would want us to leave. There is a small inn by the crossroads near where we met you, but they have good business and don't seem to care about us. Lillian looked over at Mr. Atacop. She had expected him to be lost in thought and staring into the embers like Zinya was, but instead she caught him staring intensely at Zinya's dog, Otto. When we were approaching the town from the woods, he said finally, we could hear a lot of barking and howling from your dogs. Zinya nodded. Yes, we train them to warn us when there are strangers nearby. They have a great sense of smell and it means we don't have to post guards. And yet, continued Mr. Atkop, someone was able to enter the town, write messages on the walls, and leave without any dogs being alerted. Stephanie nodded. That's the strange thing. The dogs have never noticed. Not once. Mr. Atacop considered this. Zinya interject. My theory is that they mask their scent somehow. Maybe coat themselves in mud or animal fat or something like this? Lillian considered the possibility. It certainly would take a lot of planning and experimenting to fool a town full of dogs. And then she realised something. Perhaps it was her outsider's perspective, her distance from the problem that let her see the bigger picture. She sat up straight as soon as the idea came into her head. She looked at Mr. Atacop immediately, and he seemed to have had a similar realisation. What is it? asked Zinya. Mr. Atacop gestured to Lillian for her to speak. Lillian was nervous, but the more she thought about it, the more obvious it seemed. Well, you said that the dogs bark when they sense unknown people. What if, whoever wrote the words, what if they weren't strangers? What if the dogs knew them? Hello, hello. Thank you for listening to episode 13. This is Simon Maeder, your reader and writer. The music was by Tom Figgins. Just a quick note today to say that I hope you're all keeping well and safe. The Ben Luna Patreon has successfully launched and we've already got some subscribers. Thank you so much to you lovely people who have become citizens of Ben Luna. And thank you to everyone for their words of support on social media. Uh, you can find out what kind of rewards these people have got in return for subscribing at uh, patreon.com forward slash Podcast. You can support the show in different ways too. Maybe give us a review on iTunes or a shout out on social media. Any support online is greatly appreciated and goes a long way in helping the show gain listeners. Thank you all again, and we hope that you're all safe and happy. <laughs>